It is amazing to me that along with us, there are millions and millions of other Christ followers and hundreds of thousands of churches that are meeting together today to celebrate the most amazing event in human history. Amen. This is Easter, and everybody understands the reality of Easter. It is celebrated around the world. Three days after he was killed, after his death and his burial, they went to the tomb. They rolled the stone back, and the tomb was empty. His body was gone. He has risen from the grave. And that is an absolute miracle, is it not? I mean, that event in and of itself is cause for celebration. I want to welcome you here today. We are so glad that you are with us as we come together to celebrate um, Easter together. I want to invite you to pray with me as we prepare for looking at what this day means for each of us. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the gift of your Son. I thank you for the reality of the resurrection. I thank you for the hope that is ours um, this Easter. And God, I just want to thank you for each person here, for the opportunity we have to come together this morning to celebrate that resurrection. God, I pray that you would continue to draw us closer and closer into a relationship with yourself. God, thank you uh, that we are changed, we're made new, and we have new life available to us through Christ. And God, we want to lift our time up to you this morning. We look forward to all that you have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you brought your Bible with you this morning, I'll invite you to turn with me to uh, Luke uh, chapter 23. And if you didn't bring your Bible with you this morning, that's fine. You can listen along as I read uh, these passages for you. If you have downloaded our Springbrook app, if you go over to News and Events, uh, you'll find an outline of our time together this morning. Um, You can use the YouVersion Bible app, search Springbrook. Uh, We've got all the passages and outlines um, for you there as well. But beginning in Luke chapter 23, verse 26, it says this. As they led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and they put a cross on him, and they made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people who followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him, Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs of those that have never born and the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him vinegar, and they said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for what we are getting is because of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus said, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. I want to stop there for a moment, and I want to back up, and I want to look at verse 33 and 34. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him. The criminals, one on his right and one on his left. They crucified him. The crucifixion. It's 11 little letters, one word. But yet there's so much missing from what we see in the text. To be crucified was to be beat and spitten. Jesus was dragged through the street. He had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He was covered with blood. He was whipped. He was mocked. Dragged through the street. Carried his own cross to the place of the skull where they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross where he was supposed to lay and die a miserable death, gasping for breath until he died. And so they crucified him. And while he's hanging on that cross, Jesus looks out at the crowd and he says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. I don't know about you, but I pray to have that kind of faith and that kind of reliance on my Heavenly Father. Because if I had been Jesus, I think I would have been raining down some wrath. I don't know that I could look out on that crowd that was doing this to me and say, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Isn't that amazing that in the midst of this pain and suffering, Jesus is able to look out among these crowds and, and say, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Who is the them in that passage? Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Who is the them? You know, the first point, of Easter. The first reality of Easter is that we get forgiveness. Jesus extends forgiveness to everybody that was at the scene, and he extends that forgiveness to us as well. You see, in that crowd were the Christ followers. There were those that were curious about what was going on, and then there were those that were hostile to who he was, actually crucified him. And Jesus looked at the entire crowd and says, forgive them They don't know what they're doing. The first reality of Easter is that forgiveness is available to everyone. It's not just for Christ followers. It's for the curious. It's even for those that are hostile to God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you could stop right there and just say, wow, what a gift that Easter is. God so loved us that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. God loves us all. And forgiveness is extended to us all. And that is indeed a gift. The first reality of Easter is that forgiveness is offered to everyone because everyone needs forgiveness. Christ followers, the curious, and the hostile alike. We all need forgiveness. I want to look at these three types of people first because I think that there's a misconception that church is just for the believers, that somehow that Christians are forgiven, but everybody else is on their own. And and one of the realities is that Christ forgives everyone. Forgiveness is available to everyone. It's not just available to the Christ followers. And so when we're reading through that passage, one of the first types of people that we see there is we see that there are some Christ followers there. There is forgiveness available for those that are in Christ. We see Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country. He was coming in and they grabbed him and they put a cross on him and he had to carry it behind Jesus. And so we see Simon is there and then we see some women that are mourning and lamenting. And so we see two types of, we see two people here that are actually Christians that are Christ followers that get to experience the forgiveness 
that Christ is offering. Cyrene is one of the more important cities in North Africa. It's so important that there's actually a colony of Jews that have taken up residence there. And Simon comes over in celebration of the Passover. And so he's actually mentioned in the book of Mark as the father of Alexander and, uh, and Rufus. And so they're a notable Christian family that gets mentioned throughout Scripture. And so in the midst of this crowd, Jesus looks back and he offers the Christians that are there forgiveness. And they understand what forgiveness is, don't they? I mean, you've got the women that are mourning, that were close to Jesus, that felt the pain of what was going on. And so we have Christians in the crowd that understand their need for forgiveness. I tell you, when I became a Christ follower, that was one of the things that I gravitated toward. I needed forgiveness. Thank God for forgiveness. If you're a Christ follower, do you celebrate the forgiveness that is yours? I mean, forgiveness is a gift. We could stop right here with Easter and say, we get forgiveness and celebrate that. God offers us forgiveness through the gift of his son, and all Christians have experienced that forgiveness. But you know what's interesting is there's a second group of people there. Forgiveness is not just offered to the Christ followers. It's, interested, it's, 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 it's extended to people that are just curious about who God is. There are a multitude of people that are just gathered just to watch what's going on, this spectacle that's going on. There's a multitude that have gathered together just to watch. In verse 27 and 35, there's a great multitude of people. Now, some of the people were Christians. Some of the women were lamenting for him. But the majority of people that were there were just curious. In verse 35, it said that all those people stood around and they're just, they're watching. They're just watching what's going on. Now, we have scoffers and we have people that are uh, making fun of him and ridiculing. But the majority of people are just passively observing. They're spectators. The word for watching there implies that they are just gazing on an event. They're not participating. They're not mourning. They're not scoffing. They are just spectators, interested in what's happening. It sounds a lot like the condition of the church today. There's a lot of people that are just curious about what God is. And and Christianity has, for the most part, become a spectator sport. There's a lot of people that are just curious about what's going on, and and they somewhat participate. But Jesus extends forgiveness to people that are just out of curiosity watching what's happening here. And so that's a part of the them. So we have the Christians, and then we have the people that are just curious that are watching events unfold. And then we see the third group of people. The third group of people are those that are hostile to Jesus. Those are the ones that are ridiculing him. They're spitting on him. They're the ones that put the crown of thorns on him. In verse 35, 36 and 39, we see the rulers are scoffing. Save, you know, he saved himself, you know, let him save himself. He saved all these other people. And so the rulers are scoffing. We see the soldiers are mocking him and they're offering him sour wine. And then the criminals, the criminal who was actually nailed to the cross next to him is railing on him. And so that railing on him is, you know, the NIV translates it rebuke, um, but it means to, uh, to hurl insults, to slander, to defame. The guy hanging next to Jesus is actually hurling insults at him as well. And so in the midst of this large crowd, we see Christians, we see casual observers, and then we see the people that are hostile to him that he extends forgiveness to. And Jesus cries out in verse 34, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, that's one of the realities that we see at Easter, that forgiveness is something that is extended to everyone. There's no limits 
to God's forgiveness. A person can be hostile to God, and that love that God has for them is still available. I mean, these people that are, that are hurling these insults, these people that are hostile to him, they have no idea the great love that is being outpoured for them on their behalf. I mean, forgiveness is available to everyone. And that's one of the first realities that we know about Easter, that forgiveness is available to all. Now, we talk about Easter today. That's typically not the first thing that comes up when we're thinking about what Easter is. Hey, today's Easter. We're celebrating the forgiveness that is ours. It would be enough to celebrate, right? Isn't that great that we have forgiveness, that we can be in right standing with God and, and get forgiveness? That's a great reason to celebrate Easter, but that's not something that you typically hear people talking about at this time of the year. You know, I was reading through some statistics, and CNN published a, a poll about Easter in the last year. It said 81% of adults in the United States will celebrate Easter. That number seems a little bit high for me, so it's a grain of salt. But for the most part, I do believe that the majority of people in my circles are celebrating Easter today. How many people do you know that are celebrating Easter today? It's a lot, right? A lot of people celebrate Easter, but I don't know a lot of people that are talking about this forgiveness that has been extended to us. That's just not something that our culture would be celebrating or picking up on. 77% of the people uh, in America will create an Easter basket for their kids. You know, that's something that I, I grew up with. I may create Easter baskets for the kids. That's just something that we do. It's something that we celebrate. You know, I was growing up, and I was, it's kind of embarrassing because I was old enough to know. I mean, critically, my mind was thinking And I'm thinking, well, surely this can't be right. I mean, I can remember arguing with my friends about the existence of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. And I was trying to figure out, well, so how, you know, just like Santa Claus, how does he get to all these kids? How do we get all these eggs? You know, I mean, that's what our culture is training our kids up to believe. There are more people that are raising their kids up to believe in the Easter Bunny than there are understanding the forgiveness that's ours through Christ. And that culturally is an area that we see people being heavily influenced in. Is when we think about Easter, we think about the Easter Bunny and those kind of things. 60% of people over this holiday are going to visit friends and family or have a meal together. I mean, we're going to celebrate Easter this weekend. There's going to be a, a lot of celebration about Easter. This next slide, we see that there's 50% of people that will actually visit a church. And I think that number is high, too, because I know what our population is around here. And I don't think half those people are going to fit in this building or the next building or any of the buildings down the street. So that number seems a little bit high to me. But the reality is, is that Easter is a time when people typically will visit church. And so we know instinctively that there's something amiss, that there's something more than the Easter bunny in the baskets. And so, but there are a lot of people that are just kind of casual participants um, with Easter. And I know this next one's probably true because I've seen how many Easter egg hunts we have around here. We have a lot of Easter egg hunts. 35% of people will participate in an Easter egg hunt. Those are not necessarily a bad thing. It's fun things to do with your kids. In fact, somebody asked me, hey, we should do an Easter egg hunt. And I'm thinking, well, there's 10 of them going on in our community, so why don't we just go to one of their Easter egg hunts and we'll talk about Jesus. <laughs> there's all kinds of Easter egg hunts, and they're everywhere, and they're fun. You know, This is the one that was really shocking. In the last month, $19 billion got spent on candy. Now, I don't need candy. I don't know where $19 billion worth of candy and clothes. Well, that's where it goes for the buying Easter clothes, too, because then we got to buy new clothes. $19 billion spent on Easter candy, clothes, and decorations. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's where our culture is leaning when it thinks towards Easter. And it's a far cry from what we find when we look towards the cross and what this holiday is all about. 
The first reality about Easter is that every one of us has extended to us and available to us this offer of forgiveness, an offer of right standing before God. And that in and of itself is something to celebrate. On the inside of your uh, program, there's a spiritual journey guide. I invite you to uh, take that out with me for a moment. It looks kind of like this. Hopefully everybody's got one. Um, I want to invite you to take that out with me because we're going to engage with that in just a second. But if you'll open that up on the inside, um, you'll see a couple of different indicators for where somebody might be on their spiritual journey. Now, um, there is no good and bad place on your spiritual journey. There's just a reality. And so there are some people that, um, that are, are not interested in, in Christianity. And that, that might be where some of you are today. I can remember getting dragged to the church by my wife. It's like, get in that car. We're going to church. I'm like, oh, okay. And so there are sometimes people that are just not interested and they're indifferent. And if that's where you are today, I am so glad that you are here. <laughs> Seriously. Because this, you know, God brought you here this morning. But there are a lot of people that are not interested in Christianity. Hopefully there's nobody hostile towards it. I don't have to worry about, you know, anybody coming up on the stage. But for the most part, I think there are a lot of people that are not interested in Christianity. And, th- and that's okay. There are some people that are curiously seeking. I can remember, you know, my marriage uh, after 10 years was a train wreck. My role as a husband, as a father was far from ideal. Uh, I kind of came to a point in my life where I thought, you know what? I am messing this up on my own. There's got to be something more. And I walked into a church just kind of curiously seeking, hey, maybe God can help me fix this. (laughs) And so a lot of times people walk into a church and they're just kind of curious about what it's all about. And that's where you are today. We are so glad that you are here. Seriously, because this is the place that you can come to find out the answers to the questions you're asking. And then sometimes people are really searching, you know, assertively. You know, there's a point where I'm not just curious anymore. It's like, okay, I need to know where God is in this. I am going to aggressively try to find answers to my questions. And if that's where you are, great. See, it does not matter where you are on your journey. It does not matter. The real question is, is how can we help you to take steps forward? It's about the journey. In Romans 12.1, it talks about transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we need to be thinking critically. Christians don't check their brains on the shelf. There's, you read through Scripture, there's a lot to say. There's, there's things to know that come to bear in our life. And so it's about the journey. And every one of us, recognized or not, is on a spiritual journey. And so wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are glad that you are here as we celebrate the reality of the forgiveness that's ours in Christ. We're going to look at some other things as well. But ideally, we were trying to help people understand, well, what is a faith commitment and how can I begin to experience the reality of God in my life? How can I begin to experience new life? And that is a separate topic that we're going to talk about in just a moment. And so as you look at this, I want to invite you to just maybe place, you know, a little X over one. Um, that might represent where you are. Some people might have made faith commitments when they were 4, 10. I was 33. You know, regardless of where you are, you might have made a faith commitment. Maybe you're you know, experiencing new life. You're involved in a small group. You're growing. Uh, maybe you're a ministry team leader. Maybe you're uh, you know, a leader in ministry and you're starting to live missionally. Regardless of where you are, um, put a mark uh, on one of those that reflects where you are. And we're going to come back and look at that in just a moment. But I want to remind you that it's not about where you are that's critical. It's about where are you going. And so where are you now and where would you like to be? We're going to come back and look at that in just a moment. Well, it's, if it's not uh, enough that we all experience reality, one of the first things that we know about Easter uh, is that we can experience forgiveness. And if that was not enough, the second reality of Easter is this. We can experience new life. 
I mean, not only we get forgiveness, not only are we able to stand in right standing with God, but we're able to experience life differently. We're able to experience new life. All of humanity, everyone has available to them this offer of forgiveness and the reality of new life. Beginning in Luke uh, chapter 24, if you want to read along with me, it'd be great. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. It says this, On the following day of the week, very early in the morning, women took spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They were expecting to find an old stinky body. Uh, They took their spices, they showed up, they found a stone had already been rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? He's gone. His body has been raised. He's come back from the dead. And verse 4 says, while they were standing there wondering about all this, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And they remembered what Jesus had told them. This wasn't an accident. This was a fulfillment. Jesus is who he claimed to be, and we know that because he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Jesus came back to life. Look at the question in verse 5. Why are you looking for the living among the dead. Jesus Christ is living. He's not dead. Why are you looking in the tomb? Don't you remember he told you he's going to come back to life? Let me ask you a question this morning. Where do you think Jesus' body is? Where did it go? Where is the body of Jesus? You know, I can, I've got friends in every religion, and I know every religious leader. I've got a whole list, and I can tell you where every single one of their bodies are for the most part. We know most religious leaders. We know when they're born. We know where they died. We know where they are. Where is Jesus's body? That's a unique claim. In fact, that is the reason why I became a Christ follower. (laughs) Everything, everything hinges on the resurrection. I said, if somebody can show me a body, I will give up. Paul says, if there's a body, then man, we have really led everybody astray. Worse than that, we've led everybody, you know, to false teaching because you know, this is not what the Jews still believe. I mean, everything hinges on the resurrection and the body being raised. Where is his body right now? If your kids ask you, if your neighbors or your, or your friends in school, I mean, think about the conversations of Easter. I mean, I love the Easter basket. I really love chocolate. But it's really fun when we're sitting around at dinner say, where is that body? Jesus' body was raised from the grave. In the book of Acts, the beginning, Luke writes, he said after 40 days they were all together with him and they saw his body rise and he ascended to heaven. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven right now physically with his body. It's a physical issue. Jesus is physically sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. Jesus is alive. His old beat up, that bloody body that was all it is, it's been made new, and it's come back to life, and he is alive. Friends, this is amazing, isn't it? Jesus is alive and well. The first reality of Easter is, is that we have forgiveness. The second one is, is that we can have new life. And if this new life wasn't enough, I'm, I'm telling you, 
Hold on to the person next to you because it gets better than this. That new life is available to you and to me. It's not just that we're passively observers watching Jesus get to go to heaven. Oh, good for him. We all have that same promise extended to us. We have the promise of new life, just like Jesus. Jesus is going to come back. The dead are going to be raised, and we're going to get new bodies. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that if you're still alive when Jesus comes back, in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, your body is going to be changed from being mortal to being immortal. Perishable is going to become imperishable. You're going to be changed. And if Jesus comes back after you're dead and you are in the grave, your body's popping up. You're getting a new one. You know, this, is what, this is why you see when you go to a graveyard, this is where all the crosses are in the graveyard. That's why they are. Hey, I'm here. Don't forget me. <laughs> We're going to get new bodies. That's why we take care of the bones. And that's, I mean, the reality is, is that when Christ comes back, we're going to be made new. Now, just like the criminal hanging on the cross, there's going to be a temporary period where we're separated from our bodies. Jesus said to that one criminal, today you're going to be with me in paradise. You're coming to heaven with me, but where's his body? It got put into a grave. And so there's going to be a temporary separation that we spiritually have from our physical bodies. And so that's a reality. But the other reality is this, that just like Jesus, he promises that we also are going to get new bodies. This new life that is promised to us is a reality. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all would be made alive. There's a part of us that's physical that is going to die, and uh, we're going to be physically raised from the grave, so there's a physical part of us, but spiritually as well, we're also dead and alive based on where we are in Christ. The bad news is, is that Adam screwed it up for all of us. God put him in the garden, don't eat from that tree. And then, and then Eve came along and he didn't do his job well. And so Eve, you know, God told Adam not to eat the fruit, interestingly enough. Eve wasn't even there yet. It was Adam's responsibility to make sure Eve knew. And then all of a sudden you have Satan coming in and, and tempting Eve. And next thing you know, they're eating their fruit that they weren't supposed to even curses the ground. Blew it for all of us. And as a result of that, we're all going to die. Thank you, Adam. We're all dead. <laughs> well, that's a reality. You know, it's the, uh, uh, we're all going to die. I think there's D- DC Talk, I think, has got a song. We're all going to die. Sorry to upset you. If you didn't know that, we're all going to die. It's a reality of living. <laughs> we're going to die. It's because sin entered into the world. But we're also spiritually dead. We're all separated from God spiritually as well. You see, sin is not just a behavior. You know, we do bad things, we act out, we're not obedient, so we do bad things. Um, But sin is also a condition. It's a result of being human. Every human is born with sin in them. As a result, every human is going to die. But the good news is this, that through Christ we can be made alive. That's what Paul's writing about in 1 Corinthians 15 here. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he would say this, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. When we enter into a relationship with Christ, we are changed. There's something different about me now that I have a relationship with Christ than when I, before I did. Does that make sense? We're made new. We have new life available to us in Christ. That new life is not just for Jesus. It's something that he promises us as well. Peter in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, 
a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through Christ's death on the cross, through his resurrection, we have hope that we can have new life. And it's an inheritance that's imperishable, it's unfiled, it's unfolding, it's kept for us in heaven. He'd go on to say that by who God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When's the last time? When Christ comes back. It's called faith today. We have the faith in God's word. We have faith that Jesus is who he claimed to be. We're living out our faith now. But in the last time, it's going to be revealed and there's not going to be any faith. It's just going to be a fact. It's going to be reality. Scripture says that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. It's going to be a reality that we experience when Christ returns. And so we have the forgiveness that Jesus extends to us, and we have new life that is extended to us as well. That is the reality of Easter. Easter guarantees us forgiveness. It gives us the reality of new life. And the third reality of Easter is this. We must make a decision. We have to respond to what we've just heard. The third reality of Easter is that it requires a response to what Jesus says on the cross. It requires an acceptance of forgiveness. It requires an acceptance of new life. If I were to tell you, I've got $10,000 for you. Ah, you perked up, didn't you? That's great news, isn't it? But a transaction has to happen. You have to give it. I have to give it to you. You have to take it. Something has to happen. It's not just enough to know that we have forgiveness in new life. A transaction has to happen. There has to be a receiving of this good news. God's extending it already. It's a question of whether or not we're going to receive it. It's almost as if I'm holding that money out saying, just take it. That's what God does. When Jesus looks down and says, forgive them, he's extending an offer of forgiveness to each of us. He's extending the promise of new life to each of us. We just need to what? We need to receive it. And so Easter requires us to respond to this good news. In Romans 10, 9, it says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's receiving the good news. If I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart God raised him from the dead, I will be what? I will be saved. I'll experience forgiveness. I'll experience new life. And so the transaction part for us is confessing with our mouth and believing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 21, it says this, that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. Not just the good people. That offer is for Christians. It's for casual observers. It's for those that are hostile to God. Do you mean to tell me that if Osama bin Laden made a faith commitment, he'd be in heaven? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. That offer of salvation is available to everyone. I tell you, it's good news that he would take a Osama because the good news is, is he'll take me. <laughs> you know, the Spirit of God is external in the life of somebody that does not have a relationship with himself. Right now, you have your spirit in you, and it's all by itself. The Spirit of God is external, calling us into a relationship with himself. And when we ask Christ into our life, it comes in and it's a part of us. And so no longer do I have just me in here, but I've got the Holy Spirit in me that enables me to live out the life that God's called me to leave. It's the power that we get in Acts 1.8. It's the power to be a witness. It's the power to live out this Christian faith and experience the forgiveness and new life that is promised 
with us. The Spirit of God is external in the life of a non-believer, and when we ask him to come into our life, he takes up residence. And so earlier, when we looked at that spiritual journey, God, I asked you to uh, put a mark on the spot that kind of reflected where you are. This morning, I want to encourage you that if your mark is to the left of that cross, then that category is, I've got questions still. I want to know more. I'm not quite sure how to make a faith commitment. If you feel any inkling of wanting to take a step to the left, if you feel any inkling of wanting to grow in your faith, any inklings, anything that you're feeling that's going to move you more towards Christ-likeness is the Spirit of God prompting you to take that step. You see, the Spirit of God is the one that calls us into relationship with Himself. And we want to make sure that people understand what a faith commitment is. We want to make sure that people are able to experience the forgiveness that is ours. We want people to experience new life. Amen? That's what we exist for is to help people to understand how to have a relationship with Christ. We want to reach people for Christ, and we want to build passionate followers. We want them to be able to experience all that God has for them through their relationship with Christ. And that movement, that journey, that growth that you're going to experience is all a work of God. He's the one that's doing all the work. We just have to get in line with what God's doing. So if this, you don't have to, what God's offering you, it's a question of whether or not you're going to accept it. So if God's prompting you to say, hey, I want to take that next step, your choice is to either ex- to, to accept that offer or reject it. See, there's only two things you can do with that offer. If I was going to give you $10,000, you're either going to take it or you're not. With Christ, we either take it or we don't. And so it's an offer. And if God is prompting you to take a step of faith this morning, don't ignore it. A faith commitment is the most important decision that you will make in this life, and it affects the next. In John 6, it says this, no one comes to me. No one, not some, no one can come to me. No one comes unless the Father who sent me draws him, and then I will raise him up on the last day. The Spirit of God is the one that calls us into relationship with himself. And this morning, if, if God's calling you into a relationship with himself, You need to act on that. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, if you can't say, I made a faith commitment when I was 33, when I was 4, when I was 5, if you can't answer the question, what happens when you die? I don't know is not a good answer. (laughs) I hope is not a good answer. If you are not secure in knowing that when Christ returns, you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven, then today is the day that you can make a faith commitment and you can put that question to bed. If you want to know with certainty that you're forgiven, if you want to know for certainty how you can experience new life, if you want to know where you're headed, today is the day for you to make a faith commitment. Now, you can do it tomorrow. You can wait on the radio. You can wait for friends. You can wait five years. Don't wait too long. Because the point at which the Lord comes to take you, you don't get to make the decision again. (laughs) Today is the day that you can choose to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Do you feel that prompting today? It's the Spirit of God calling you in a relationship with himself. If you're feeling that, you can act right now. In Luke chapter uh, 18, Jesus tells a story about two men. And they go into the temple to pray. And one of them is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's, you know, he's supposed to be the example. And then you have the tax collector who is somebody that's looked down on, that typically is despised. 
So Jesus portrays these two different people. And the first guy, we see this. The Pharisee goes in, and he stands by himself, and he prays this to God. God, I thank you that I am not like that guy. (laughs) I am so glad that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. I'm so glad that I'm not like this tax collector over here. You know, I fast twice a week. See how good I am? I give, I give tithes all that I get. I am so good. That is self-righteousness, and, and that's not going to get you anywhere. And then the second guy that you see is the tax collector. He's standing far off. He would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He felt so, he felt that presence of God in such a way that he did not feel worthy. He lifted his eyes to heaven. He was beating his breast, and he said, God, be merciful Mercy is withholding something that is due to you. He's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, looks at those two prayers, and he said, you know what? He said that prayer of the first guy in this next verse. He says, I tell you this, the man that went down to his house uh, justified uh, rather than the other one. The man went down to his house justified, talking about the tax collector. He's justified, not the other guy. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Are you in a place in your life where you can humble yourself and recognize that, hey, I can't do this on my own. I need to accept this offer of forgiveness. I need to accept this offer of new life. I need to quit trying to do life on my own, and God, I need your help. You can pray that prayer that the tax collector prayed. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, that's where justification is found. That's, where receiving, that's what receiving Christ looks like. When we talk about helping people to make a faith commitment, it's a point that they understood their need for Christ and they prayed and they asked him into their life. And that's what it means to make a faith commitment. And you can do that today. It's not the words. You can say magic words. You can say 10 words. The Pharisee said words and the words didn't work. And so it's not about words, but it's about with your heart, do you believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and are you prompted to ask him to come into your life? No longer be external, but come in. If that's where you are this morning, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer with me this morning. So we're going to pray that. I'm going to lead you in that prayer now. And uh, if that's where you are, uh, just repeat after me. Let's bow our heads and pray. If you want to ask Christ to come into your life, just say this. Father, as best as I know how, I'm asking you, to come in and take control of my life. Just like that tax collector, God, I want to ask you to, I want to experience your mercy and your grace. I am sinful and I need you. As best as I know how, I'm asking you to come in. I believe that you're God, that you died on the cross for my sins. I'm asking you to take control of my life. God, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. That prayer is referred to as a prayer of salvation. Every Christ follower has a moment that they ask Christ to come into your life. And if that's a prayer that you prayed this morning, congratulations. Happy Easter. You're a Christian. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Easter's all about, right? The reality, the reality of Easter is that God extends us forgiveness. The reality of Easter is, is that we can have new life. And the reality of Easter is that each of us must respond. And so if you did that this morning, we want to celebrate this day with you. This is a big day for you. This is going to change the rest of your life. That's going to change where you spend eternity. And if you've done that before and you're already a Christ follower, then today is a day that you should really be encouraged because you never look on that cross and don't feel like you haven't learned something, that you haven't been encouraged in your faith, that you haven't been given something very special 
that other people desperately need to hear. So I pray that you've been encouraged in your faith this morning. Andy mentioned that welcome slip attached to your program. I want to encourage you to take that off with me now. Um, so go ahead and take that welcome slip off. And if you prayed that prayer today, on the back, um, there's a place for you to indicate that. Um, go ahead and go to the next slide. On the back of that welcome slip, there's a little place for you to indicate um, you, know, you made a relationship with Christ. And so we want to celebrate this day with you. And so on the front of that um, welcome slip, I want to invite everybody to put their names on there. And so if everybody would fill one of those out, we just want to make sure that we know you were here. A lot of times your phone number changes. Um, sometimes your email changes. If you're a visitor and you feel comfortable sharing uh, information with us, um, it'll be fill the front of that thing out. If you made a faith commitment this morning, please put your name and your email on there. We have a special gift uh, for you. We've got some great resources that will help you grow in your faith. I remember when I prayed that prayer for the first time, I prayed it and I looked around and I was like, now what? <laughs> I know I feel the same. You know, you have just begun a journey, and we've got some great resources for you that will help you to continue to grow in your faith and your knowledge and love uh, for the Lord. And uh, we are going to be hosting a baptism service coming up. Uh, the Bible also says that every believer in Scripture that makes a faith commitment gets baptized. And so we're, I know Pastor Matt's talking to our youth right now. We're going to have a youth baptism service uh, in a few weeks. Then we're working with several adults. And so we're going to have a couple of baptism services coming up. And if you've got questions about that or you want to participate, um, you can indicate your interest uh, on that as well. But we're going to collect those um, welcome slips uh, from you in just a second. We want to make sure that um, each person's had an opportunity to respond. And so I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward now. Uh, we're going to pray in just a moment. Um, if you didn't have enough time to fill that out, you can take it by the uh, guest services desk. Um, but uh, we want to collect uh, uh, those welcome slips for you so we can celebrate this great day uh, with you together. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us. God, thank you for the reality of Easter. God, that we can experience forgiveness, new life. And uh, God, that you have called us into a relationship with yourself. That is a gift, three great gifts uh, for Easter. We're talking about, I love chocolate, but God, praise you. And thank you for your call in our life. And uh, God, I just thank you for each person here as we continue to move throughout our day. I pray that your spirit would just continue to guide and direct us. I uh, would look forward to all that you have for us uh, individually and collectively together as the body of Christ. God, we commit this day to you for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name, amen.